in celebrating this Feast of St. Agnes, we begin by rejoicing in, in the gift of the life and the martyrdom of St. Agnes. She who proves the readings that we just heard a moment ago in her own very flesh. You recall the story of St. Agnes, that she was only 12 or 13 years old at the time of her martyrdom, and she was convicted for the grievous crime of being a Christian. Of course, this was during the reign of uh, the Emperor Decius, or uh, uh, Diocletian, rather. And Diocletian came and was one who was continually about bloodshed. He was all about killing the Christians to try to weed them out of the Roman Empire, seeing them as, as enemies of the state, essentially. And so Diocletian uh, kind of kicking up this, this you know, um, persecution of the Christian community, he comes and, and uh, has Agnes stand before them. And Agnes is, again, uh, just but a child. She's only 12 or 13 years of age. And uh, at this point, she, uh, she's arrested, and they go in to put her in shackles, but the shackles are too big, and they just fall off of her hands because she's so small herself. Um, they were meant for an adult, and they were not for her. And so they had ended up having to, to bind her hands with, with rope. And thinking that they can intimidate her, it was the normal tactic. Of course, you have a, a 12-year-old girl, and in the eyes of the royal, these are the weak ones, the easily intimidated ones, the one where you, you, know, you kind of you push a bit, and, and, and they'll cave. You show them the, the instruments of their torture. You, you tell them what you're going to do to them, and, and they just cower and cave in, in their weakness, is the thought. But Agnes and others like her did not do this, but rather they grew firm in the faith and bold and zealous for the Lord willing to do whatever it took to gain the pearl of great price that is Christ and eternal life. In the end, she won her crown. She won her martyr's palm and glorifies the Lord. And it said that she went so joyously to her execution, the same as a bride would go to her wedding day. And in this, we see the fulfillment of, of, of all of the readings that were just proclaimed properly for for a virgin martyr, that the ones who, in imitation of in the book of Maccabees, just before, about a hundred years or so, before the life of our Lord, great persecutions of the Jewish people by the Romans were taking place. And here again, a, a call to bow down and to worship foreign gods. And the seven brothers saying, no, and gladly sticking out their tongue in their hands, not to receive the food that was to be mandated and forced upon them, but rather to receive it, the sword allow the sword to come upon them. And so it's, it's this that, that they did, laying down their lives, knowing that, that God could raise them up. They trusted in the resurrection of the body and eternal life, and they were proven right. In a similar manner, God chooses the weak of the world. I wonder often what the Corinthians thought whenever they were reading St. Paul's letter. Consider your own calling. Not many of you are very wise. You're not very powerful. You're not honorable people. You know, you're kind of just the, the lowly, the despised of the world that nobody really cares about. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate that, man. Thanks for the encouraging words, huh? It's good to be Corinthians. But this is what he's saying. This is their glory, really. Is the glory is the fact that that in their weakness, the Lord shines through them. And this is why the Lord often wants to use the weak ones, the little ones, the powerless ones. 
is because it shows truly that this is not the Lord's work. This is not our work and not a human work. It's the Lord's work. It's the Lord who is doing all of these things. It shows his power in the midst of our weakness. This is what St. Agnes did, showing forth weakness and allowing Christ to fill it and to become something far more than what she would have been herself. And all of this for the pearl of great price, for the treasure hidden in the field of eternity, willing to do whatever it took to gain Christ, because she was his, wanted to be his entirely. I rejoice in being able to reflect upon that, that wonderful story of our patroness here and, and invited to reflect upon my own vocation story in light of this called by name uh, program. So as I was reading these readings, it was an encouragement to me and a recognition of some of my own experience through the course of things. A brief kind of uh, brief storyline of, of my own vocation is I was baptized Catholic. I was raised Methodist, uh, practically speaking, as a 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old. Um, I basically professed atheism. I uh, had no belief in God. I was quite the opposite of St. Agnes. If someone had told me that unless you renounce Christ, you will suffer, I would have been like, cool, don't believe in him anyway. Have a great day, you know? And then exit stage right, moved on with my life. There was no faith alive in my heart at the time. But thanks be to God, there was faith in the hearts of others who were around me. Well, one of those, some of those people were my parents and my youth group ministers. My parents uh, forced me into the youth group, uh, knowing that I needed some Jesus in my life, to put it simply. And so I was compelled to go to the youth group and was compelled, therefore, to take part in youth group activities. And my youth ministers, Mama Roz and Mr. Kirk, now Deacon Kirk of our diocese, uh, were our youth ministers. And they would bring us to these various events and things. And it came one night that, that we went to a retreat and we were to go to confession. And as we entered the place, went into the church to pray, uh, we were told that we were going to confession. Not that confession would be available. We were going to confession. And when Mama Roz said you were going to confession, you went to confession. You didn't fight about it, things. And so I went to confession, and I confessed something to these, to, to these effect. Um, Father, I don't believe in God. I don't believe that any of this makes any sense. I think it's all silly and a waste of my time. And I was told to be here because my youth minister said I have to go to confession. That was it. I don't know how much contrition was really there at all. Again, I was rather professing that I didn't believe in the thing I was celebrating at the time. But the priest, thanks be to God, was patient with me, spoke with me a bit about who knows what, and then encouraged me to do a crazy thing. He invited me to, when my heart was ready, to look up into the sky and act as if God was real and to speak to him and to say, if you are real, show me. And then leave the rest to him. And so... The time came, and I did exactly that, and the Lord showed me that he was real, that he was out there. And not only that he was out there, that, that he loved me and he cared for me, and he wanted me for himself. He wanted me for something more in the life and then just simply living my own plan. He began to call me closer and closer to himself. And so, continuing on the course of a couple of years, we were on another retreat to this time, and it was in the midst of Eucharistic adoration, adoring our blessed Lord in the sacrament, 
when the Lord showed me something in my heart that I had never thought, uh, never knew was there, I always envisioned it as so, sort of like those spotlights in the sky that just randomly shoot around and hi- highlight things. Except for me, it highlighted a spot in my soul that was always darkened, that I was unknown that was there. And it was that of my vocation. And I began to weep before the Blessed Sacrament, knowing that, that the Lord was doing something in me that I didn't understand. It was a terrifying thing, but also a joyous thing. I didn't know what to do with it, and I mumbled and fumbled and kind of made a real mess of things in a lot of way um, for the next two years for myself and for others around me as I was trying to figure out what this meant. All I knew was I was supposed to do something more in those words in the life of the church. And so I was trying to reason the ways that I could continue to do my own plan and then kind of follow God's plan and try to merge the two together so that I could, in the end, still have my, my thing done. So I was thinking, well, I want to get married and have kids, so okay, I'll be a youth group minister, or I'll, I'll be a deacon, or I'll be X, Y, or Z, all these kinds of things. And the more and more I went along, the more and more it became clear that, in fact, the thing written in my heart was priest. And not liking this plan, I began to push away. I did the thing that uh, so many other souls have done, and to try to silence the Lord, both by my silence to him, if I don't talk to him, he doesn't talk to me, type of scenario, but also hoping that if I dig the hole deep enough in sin, that the Lord will just leave me down there and move on to find a better candidate for the job. Both of those failed. And I was found terribly sad one day at school, at, at, at classes at LSU, and, and I, I knew like the, the voice of, of, of the Lord calling to the priesthood would not stop. And despite my best efforts, it was still there. And so I was sitting up by the memorial tower, and I uttered a simple prayer, again with an openness in my heart, for the Lord to show up and do something. Just the same as the first time, I just kind of opened my heart to the Lord in a moment of silence and said, Lord, I don't want to be a priest, but I think you want me to be a priest. And if you want me to be a priest, you have to break up with my girlfriend. We've been dating for two years at that point, and I was more than happy to continue on that trajectory. I said, you have to break off the relationship with my girlfriend, and everything has to be so clear that I know without doubt that it is you. That evening... I went to my girlfriend's house and heard those blessed words, Brent, we need to talk. And we sat down to talk, and she said, we need to break up and maybe see other people. And my response, verbatim, directly to this, without hesitation was, okay, I'm going to the seminary. Because the Lord checked all the boxes that I told him he had to do. And it was abundantly clear to me that I had to go. And so I went. I entered the seminary uh, the following year and uh, began my, my course in studies for priestly life and formation. But I felt very much like the Corinthians at the time. I felt like a, rather a, a bit of a fool, or rather a major fool, because I was very far from what I thought seminarians ought to be. And in fact, looking around at the guys around me, I was very far from what they themselves already were. The majority of the men around me had either been to Catholic school or had been homeschooled in good Catholic families or had, you know, had been living the faith their entire life, come from robust Catholic families. They prayed the rosary daily and, and had all kinds of you know, great things going on in their family, or they had been in, the, in 
in student leadership positions in their diocese, or they had been serving the altar, or they'd been thinking about priesthood since they were, you know, as, as you know, little boys. They were playing mass when they were three, right? So these kind of guys were, were all around me, and I'm looking at myself and going, I don't really fit here. And I felt like a fool. On my, on my, my IQ test for, the, for the, the psychological evaluation that you have to take to make sure you're crazy enough to be a priest but not too crazy that you shouldn't be a priest. On that evaluation, they were asking just general information things and they asked what the book of Genesis was about. And I said, I don't have a clue. And he just kind of looked at me. He's like, you don't have a clue what Genesis is about? You want to be a priest? And I was like, yep. And the vocation director, Father Jeff Bahi at the time, I went and confessed that to him that, that I was an idiot and had no idea what I was doing and had basically no knowledge of the faith. But I'm pretty, sure I'm, I'm pretty sure Jesus is calling me to be a priest. And he said, good, Brent, that's fine. They'll teach you all the rest. Okay. And so I went and the fool that I was began to get filled up with a bit of knowledge and mumbling and fumbling again my way through all kinds of things, trying to learn how to serve mass and how to be a good seminarian and, and how to pray, how to have a life of prayer, all of these things began to come together. And ultimately, the Lord confirmed again and again the call to the priesthood. And thanks be to God, nearly 13 years ago, I was able to lay down my, my body and my life on the floor of the cathedral to receive the sacred gift of ordination to the priesthood. And from that time, have been blessed to serve in our diocese in various places and to serve many individuals. And something that's, uh, that I noticed when I was, uh, especially when I was a younger priest, it doesn't happen so much these days, um, maybe in the same words, but as a young priest, you come out, you're nice and glowing, you don't have gray hair yet, and you're a fresh and new priest, and you're young, and you're like, you could be getting married right now, all your friends are getting married, but you're choosing the priesthood. So people, people would say things like, thank you for sacrificing yourself, thank you for, thank you for your yes to the priesthood. And, and it was always, it always sounded as if they were kind of like, you know, thanks for taking one for the team. Glad I didn't have to do it. Good for you, man. Good job. That's how it, 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 it kind of seemed a lot of times. I know that's not how it was meant, but, but it's, how it, it's how it came off to some degree. But, and I never understood that sense of kind of taking one for the team because the priesthood has a cross, right? We all have crosses. Every vocation has a cross. If any of us doesn't have a cross, it means we're not alive. All vocations bear the cross. Mine looks different than married folks, but nonetheless, they're in a similar shape. And so I was struck by this because people would sometimes look at the priesthood as, a, again, a, a major sacrifice, a major change. And to some degree, it is a sacrifice. It's the sacrifice of my entire life. Absolutely. But to that point, it's my entire life is now God's. And I am his. And honestly, that's incredible. I absolutely love my vocation as a priest. I, never, I, I didn't realize it when I was younger. I didn't know that I could be happy in this life. But I am indeed. In fact, when, when Bishop Duca uh, just arrived in our diocese, he wanted to kind of take the spiritual pulse of the diocese and of our priests and of our vocational kind of spiritual life to see how we're doing, knowing that we had lost some guys, some guys had left ministry and some guys have left since, much sadly. But wanting to, to see how are my priests doing? 
And one of the questions on there was, are you fulfilled in your vocation? Are you happy as a priest? And my response was, if I could live a hundred lives, I would be a priest in every one of them. I love being a priest. I hope some of that joy comes off. But there's a beauty because I have Christ. And I am Christ's. My entire life is Christ's. Without him, my life makes absolutely no sense. I live in someone's house that doesn't belong to me. I minister in a, in a community that wouldn't belong to me. I have a job that doesn't belong to me. I simply live my, my every, everyday life. Everything I do pretty much revolves around Jesus Christ and ministering with him and to his church. And that for me is absolutely incredible. And it wouldn't change it for anything. This is the gift that we want to share with other men. Because there are other men who are younger or older who the Lord is calling to be priests. The Lord has placed it upon their heart. And they may not have seen it yet. They may not have heard it. They may not know the call. Or perhaps they have heard the call and are running. Perhaps they're simply shocked at the thing. Or trying to reason with themselves why they're, why they're too lowly, why they're too insignificant to the use in the hand of the Lord to be priests. They're not enough. They didn't have this, that, or the other education or formation or, or life of faith or life of prayer or holiness or whatever the case may be. There are a whole variety of reasons by which individuals don't respond to the call of the priesthood. But the invitation to call is always worth it. The response to that invitation is the sweetest of joys for those who are called. Just as for married, for married folks, the, the wedding day, the birth of your children, you're seeing your children grow for those who are old enough, for your grandchildren, the joy of your heart in those moments. It is the same for priests. Because I've experienced exactly what the Lord Jesus told Peter. When Peter was saying, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. What do we get in return? And the Lord said, a hundredfold in this life and in the next. And I know it's not, uh, it's not true, but it sounds like Jesus lies to me on that point. If there was ever a point where I could say Jesus was lying to somebody, it would be this. Because it is far more than a hundredfold that Jesus gives to us. Far more. It's infinite what the Lord gives in return for what we're willing to follow, to give up to follow him. The number of spiritual children and brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers that I have on account of being a priest of Jesus Christ is astonishing to me. I am a raring introvert. Left to myself, I would probably be just huddled out somewhere and kind of living in the woods alone. Some of you have heard that lamentation, wanting to just go live in the woods by myself for a while. And it always cracks me up whenever I look at my phone and I see that I have 1,200 contacts. That would disgust me as a youth. And yet, they are my family. And far more. And what a beautiful thing it is. And I cannot help but be grateful for the vocation the Lord gave to me and I want other men to join me, not simply for the selfish reason of we got to have extra help, but that they too might know the joy of following Jesus Christ in the call of the priesthood. All of us are called to follow the Lord. 
None of us is exempted. None of us is, is free from the cross. None of us is free from having to, to give up something to follow Jesus. All of us must give up something to follow him and to do his will. Some of us are called in a particular way to live that in a, a total consecration by virtue of ordination of the priesthood. And so to that end, I would ask you to pray for the Lord to raise up priests in our diocese and in our parish, in our own homes, in your own families, that the Lord would allow those, those men, uh, whether, whatever age they might be, to hear his voice and to know that they have been chosen by the Lord to be shepherds for the church. And not only to know it, but to delight in it, to be willing to respond to it affirmatively, to respond with, with a willingness to go, a joyfulness, like that which Agnes went to her death, like a bride goes to her wedding day, like the, like the brothers in the, in the Maccabees went joyously to their own martyrdoms because they knew that it was worth it. The pearl of great price, the treasure that they had found, was worth everything that they could do and more. And so we pray that by the grace of our prayers that the Lord will continue to raise up holy priests in our community, help them to hear the call, to respond, that indeed we might rejoice continuously in our parish and our diocese to see a great renewal in the priesthood, a renewal of holy priests who love the Lord, who love our Blessed Mother, and are willing to do whatever is necessary for the service of the flock of the church. And pray that this might be done all to the glory of God, especially for us here through the intercession of St. Agnes.